Welcome to the 12th episode of Head Speaks, our great one-year anniversary episode. In this episode, we get a little head, we find out a little more about Brotherhead and the origins of his podcast, we look at the movie Paragon, we get a sneak preview of Brotherhead's possible new podcast, G.I. Joe, a real American podcast, and Where's Head Going plus Head's Mailbag, amongst a few other things. Sit back and enjoy this episode, kids. Aw, yeah. Uh, uh, feels good. Feels good. Hello, greetings, and hi there. This is the Head Speaks Podcast, a proud member of the Headcast family. I am your host, Aaron Moss, also known as Brother Head. Welcome to Head Speaks, where I'll be talking about comics, movies, and recent news items that interest me. Basically, anything that strikes my fancy. Warning! Warning! This podcast may not be family friendly. Head Speaks may contain adult language, adult content, fantasy violence, and nudity. You have been warned. The young, stupid, and easily offended may not want to listen to this headcast. In other words, parental guidance is more than suggested. Now, before we get started today, let's hear a word from a friend of the show. We'll return after these messages. Hey listeners, it's Ryan Daly here to give you an exciting sneak peek at the Secret Origins Podcast, a review show dedicated to the post-crisis Secret Origins comics. Secret Origins told or retold or occasionally reimagined the origins of many of DC's legendary superheroes, including Superman, Batman, The Flash, Green Lantern, Green Arrow, Jonah Hex, Nightwing, Plastic Man, Batgirl, Blackhawk, Black Lightning, Booster Gold, Detective Chimp, The Legion of Superheroes, and a hundred others. But I won't be alone in my coverage of these epic stories. I'm bringing the best and brightest and irredeemablest guest stars from the blogosphere and podcast community, such as Chris Franklin from the Supermates podcast. I think this is a great idea for a podcast, and I wish I thought of it first, but it's in good hands. Chris and I are going to be reviewing the first issue of Secret Origins, which tells the story of the Golden Age Superman. And now, Chris, I don't know if this has ever come up before on your own show, but would you say you're much of a Superman fan? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I am definitely a Superman fan. Uh, Superman, the movie, is still my favorite movie of all time. That's my Star Wars. I don't remember a time when I didn't know who Superman was. Tim Wallace from Court Industries, a blog devoted to Blue Beetle. My friends, my close friends, would probably tell you that Aquaman was my favorite hero, and they wouldn't be too far off from the truth, but there was already a pretty decent blog covering Aquaman, so I went for my number two, which was which was Blue Beetle. And this issue actually has a lot to do with uh, why he's one of my favorites. Luke Giaconetti from the Hawkman blog being Carter Hall in the Earth Destruction Directive podcast. Thank you for having the, the enthusiasm to talk about Halo, because this <laughs> is not a character that I know much about. Uh, you know, it's uh, I'm, I'm, I'm one of the oddballs in that I'm an Outsiders fan who doesn't like the Teen Titans. <laughs> so I, I figure I'm, I'm pretty much required 
to do my my uh, you know my due diligence in defending the members of the Outsiders team, especially one of the originals. Siskoid from Siskoid's blog of Geekery and the Hero Points podcast. One of the subjects I keep returning to is Golden Age superheroes. I like exploring the the history of comics and especially DC Comics, which has the biggest load of uh, of Golden Age heroes. In Secret Origins is full of these because Roy Thomas wrote um, you know half the series or so, and just like he wrote a lot of Golden Age heroes and brought Golden Age heroes to the um, to our attention in the 80s, which was when I started reading comics. And of course, Rob Kelly from the Fire and Water podcast. The plan was all this time, once we finished Who's Who, we were going to do the Secret Origin series. That was our next ga- our next uh, big project, and you have swooped in and stolen it and i'm just saying you better not screw this up i mean you're on episode four and you brought in your biggest guest star yet but from here if it's just downhill i'm going to be really ticked off that you ruined our idea Mm, i wasn't really listening to any of that plus more incredible guests including sean engel chad bokelman kyle benning nathaniel wayne paul scavito greg arajo tom panneries doug zawissa aaron moss alan middleton Max Romero, Gene Hendricks, Stella, Ange, Diablo Frank, and possibly even more. Join us as we uncover the secret origins of all your favorite DC heroes, except for Wonder Woman, and Aquaman, and Supergirl, and the Huntress, and Red Tornado, and Mira, and Aqualad, and Jon Stewart, the Green Lantern, and Wildcat, and Metamorpho, and Geoforce, and Mr. Terrific. The Secret Origins Podcast. I definitely recommend checking out Ryan's uh, Secret Origins Podcast. I listened to the first episode, which is about Superman. It was fantastic. Here sometime in the future, uh, you're supposed to have me on talking about the uh, Suicide Squad Secret Origins issue. Uh, So definitely check out Ryan's Secret Origins Podcast. That was a great series, and so far it's starting out to be a great podcast. But enough about Ryan and his Secret Origins Podcast. Let's go with what we're here about. Brotherhead's 12th amazing episode, his first anniversary of Head Speech. So first up on today's episode, uh, here's a little segment that I like to call... Oh, yeah. A little head. Being my fabulous one-year anniversary, I figured this uh, episode of A Little Head, I would recap Brotherhood's origins and how we got started with this podcast. If you're a long-time listener, uh, none of this is going to be news to you, but sit back and maybe you'll pick up something new or, I don't know, just bear with me. So, my name is Aaron Moss. My friends call me Head. That's short for Airhead. Um, I'm 45 years old, uh, married, father of four kids. Three boys named Timothy, Stephen, and Grayson, and a beautiful little daughter named Alexis. My day job, I work at the IRS at nights, um, for now. After the season's over, I go to days. But again, I work at the IRS, but don't ask me for any fucking tax advice. Uh, yes, Head Speaks does have adult language. I'm an adult. I don't mind using adult language. I'm a uh, lapsed Pentecostal. Uh, now I'm a non-believer of everything. Um, 
when I was uh, 15 years old, I lost my brother. Actually, I was 14 years old. I lost my brother to a house fire. I spoke with that, about that on a previous podcast. I'm not going to go into any more details on that at this point anyways. But uh, search out the episode if you want to hear about that. And anyways, I decided to do this podcast along with my Task Force X podcast. But why do a podcast, Brotherhead? Well, as it related to my very first episode, uh, I'm a big fan of Kevin Smith, Kevin Smith's movies and all that jazz. Uh, me and the wife was watching Comic Book Men, and the wife asked if I ever listened to their podcast. I'm like, no, I've never gotten into podcasts. I mean, me, I'm Mr. Technology. I worked for an internet company for 12 years. I'm, like, yeah, I'm not really into podcasts. I've never got into it. So I decided to look up a couple of Kevin's podcasts, and I listened to uh, Tell Him Steve, Dave, Jay and Silent Bob Get Old, Hollywood Babylon, plus one or two others. And then I started listening to the Fire and Water podcast, which I advertise and talk about on the show quite a bit, and also the From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast, uh, plus one or two others. So I'm listening to podcasts, enjoying them. And then one day, uh, a buddy of mine, Romero, hey Romero, um, he had bought some tickets to, uh, what is it, Jay and Silent Bob Super Groovy Cartoon Groovy movie or whatever. It's an animated movie that Kevin Smith and Jay Musen, Jay Musen, Jason Muse put together. Uh, and they were also going to record a podcast of Jay and Silent Bob Get Old. Uh, he bought the tickets, wasn't able to go for some reason. So he's like, hey, Brother Ed, I know you're a Kevin Smith fan. You want to buy these? I didn't have the money. So I'm like, I would like to, but I ain't got the cash right now. He's like, well, let me know if you have anyone that wants to buy them. You know, you're my friend. I'll give them to your friends first. So I spoke with my uh, manager that season at the IRS, uh, Sue Sturgeon. Hey, Sue. And uh, she, she she's also a big Kevin Smith fan. We spend time at work talking about Kevin Smith and comic book stuff. And she's like, yeah, I would like to go. So she bought the four tickets uh, for my friend via me. And her and her husband, Jonathan Sturgeon. Hey, John. Uh, who's also got a podcast that comes out very infrequently. Uh and their son was going to go. And Sue was like, so how come you didn't want to go to it? I'm like, well, I want to go. It's just, I got the money for the gas, the tickets. The, and I, you know, I'm broke right now. She's like, oh, well, you know, I've got the extra ticket because me, John, and my son's going. If you want to go along, you can ride with us. And, you know, I'll give you the ticket and we'll take you up there. So I went with them. I say all that to say all this. Uh, we're at the show. We watched the movie. It was an enjoyable movie. I enjoyed it. I recommend it. If you like Kevin Smith, you like dick and fart jokes, definitely check it out. But during the podcast, uh, Kevin talks about the same thing he's been talking about for quite a while, about how right now anyone can do a podcast. It's free. It's, you know, it's a way to relieve stress. It's a way to, you know, talk about things. All you need is a friend. Not even that, if you listen to me. And a computer, a microphone, and record it. You can throw it on the Internet. It's free right now for the most part. No one's stopping you. Everyone needs to record a podcast. In fact, he's like, you know what? Your guys' homework assignment is everyone needs to go home and do a podcast. You have one year from today to go out and record a podcast and publish it. Well, we said publish it, but you've got one year to go do a podcast. I thought about that, took that idea. I went home and thought some more. I'm like, you know what? I like the sound of my own voice. Everything needs, about, everything needs to be about me, Brotherhead. So I decided, let's do a podcast. But what do we talk about? Well, my name's Head. That's a pretty clever name. Let's go ahead and, and Head Speaks. That's a good name for a podcast. 
So I registered the domain because my other domain expired. Long story there. Um, and I decided, you know what? I'm going to do a podcast about eh, whatever I want to talk about. I like comics. I like movies. I like reading. I like a lot of things. So I'm going to do a podcast on things I enjoy talking about. And I also enjoy bitching about things. My first segment was a, an old segment, an old uh, skit me and my friend used to do called uh, Herschel H. Hemingway and things that piss me off. So I recorded the first episode and I did, you know, Herschel H. Hemingway, things that piss me off in it as a character. And the wife listened, she listened to it. She said, you know what? I think you'd do better off if you did this just as yourself, not as a character. Because, you know, as a character, you're more acting. Whereas if you talk about things that upset you, you actually you get more of yourself into it and you get uh, more passionate and, you know, you, you can tell in your voice. So, the next episode, I changed it from things that piss me off to brotherheads, bitches, moans, and gripes. And as I was designing the show, I came up with some other segments, you know. What's Head's Long Box, so I can talk about comics or other comic book characters. At the movies of Head, because, well, I like movies and, you know, TV shows, so I figured I'd talk about that. Um, where's Head Going, just the spots where I can talk about websites I like talking about. Um... What's on Head's bookshelf? Because again, I'm a big reader, so I figured, you know what? Every once in a while, I'll throw a book in there, talk about a book, and what do you know? Head Speaks was created. And a few episodes down the road, I figured, you know what? I don't talk about myself enough in there. <laughs> you know, I don't. So I decided to do the newest segments, A Little Head, which you're listening to right now. So when I started Head Speaks, uh, as I said, I also listened to. Uh, the Fire and Water podcast, and From Crisis to Crisis, and they're talking about comic books. From Crisis to Crisis talks about the uh, Burn era, aka the Triangle era, era of the Superman comics from the late 80s through the 90s, up in the early 2000s. Uh, my favorite era of Superman. And then there's the Fire and Water podcast, which talks about Firestorm and Aquaman. And Firestorm, as everyone knows, is one of my two favorite superheroes. So I'm like, you know what, I would like to talk about comics more than just, you know, on a regular basis or something. So I'm like, you know, what can I do? Well, my favorite characters, again, is Firestorm, but there's already a fantastic podcast that I didn't want to, you know, try to compete with or try, you know, because honestly, Shag's a big Firestorm fan and he's a, he's a great guy, so I'm not going to compete with Shag on that. So I'm not going to do Firestorm. My other favorite character is the Atom. The Atom, he's had a lot of appearances like in the Justice League and here and there. He was in the uh, Titans for a while. Uh, but he only his own series, there was the original Atom series, which I haven't really read. I've seen bits and pieces of. Then he had a, a couple of miniseries. He had a, or one miniseries and a couple of one-shots back in the 80s, the Sword of the Atom, which was really great. And then he had his Sword of the Atom, or Power of the Atom series, which ran 18 issues. I'm like, well, you know, that's only a year or so. And if I do it bi-weekly, which is my original thought, it's going to be even less than that. Almost it's going to be longer than that. What else? What other comics do I like in Heroes? And then I thought, and I, th I think, I'm not mistaken, but I want to say that Shag had said something on uh, Fire and Water about the Suicide Squad at one point. I'm like, you know what? I really like the John Ostinger Suicide Squad. Let's do a comic on that. And... At the time, the uh, Checkmate comic, written by Paul Kupperberg, 
tied into it. They're like different sides of the espionage of the DC Universe. So I'm like, let's go ahead and combine those, because they, they, in the DC Universe, they're combined in one group called Task Force X. Hmm, Task Force X. That would be a really good name for a podcast. So, thus was born Task Force X, where I review the uh, John Ostinger's Suicide Squad and the Paul Kupperberg Checkmate comics from the late 80s, early 90s. Uh, currently, I'm up to, uh, well, I'm only on issue three of the Suicide Squad. I'm working, I've got a couple of special issue, episodes out right now dealing with the current convergence Suicide Squad issues. Uh, last month we had the Conway crossover, or Conway Corner crossover podcast where we talked about Jerry Conway. Sorry, I viewed the first issue that Vixen showed up in, which was uh, Action Comics. But soon, I'm going to, next month uh, or so, we're going to get back on task. We'll review Suicide Squad number four, um, either next month with our special one-year Task Force X anniversary episode, or the month after. I'm still working out the details on that. Uh, and then we'll be back on target. And then eventually, once Checkmate comes into play, I'll review a Suicide Squad and then Checkmate issue. And they also do character profiles on characters that show up in the comics. But anyways, I've been rambling on enough about my different podcasts and where things got started. Uh, I'm going to finally lead off, end off this with talking about, I'm thinking about doing a podcast on my most favorite comic. I've talked about it before. It's what's got me into comics. Um, G.I. Joe. I'm thinking about doing the G.I. Joe, a real American podcast. Yeah, I think that might be cool. Actually, it'll be G.I. Joe, a real American headcast. And where I'm going to talk, if I do that, it'll be reviewing the G.I. Joe, a real American hero comics from Marvel Comics. And then recently been picked up and started again by IDW Comics. I'm thinking about doing that. So if you guys are interested in hearing me talk about G.I. Joe, let me know. Send me an email at head at headspeaks.com or go to my website, headspeaks.com. Leave a message on the blog or go on to Facebook or Google+. Both if you look under Headspeaks. And uh, leave me a message. Let me know what you think. But anyways, I think it's babbled on long enough about that, and that is a little head. After these messages, we'll be right back. Aquaman and Firestorm fighting crime together. Soak them down or burn them up. No one does it better. Whenever you find trouble, they'll always be there to catch them. Even torch their hair Stand for truth and justice And see on land and air Firestorm and Aquaman They make a super pair The Fire and Water Podcast Celebrating Aquaman, King of the Seven Seas And Firestorm, the Nuclear Man Available weekly on Aquaman Trine, Firestorm Van And on iTunes and Stitcher I'm one of your hosts, the Irredeemable Shag, here to talk about Firestorm. Along with me is my co-host, Rob Kelly, here to talk about some guy that talks to fish. Really? You're going to pull this crap during the promo? Bad enough, I have to put up with your shenanigans every week, but...
secret governmental organization operating behind the scenes. Task Force X. Task Force X is an off-the-books government strike team made up of convicts with no hope for release, serving as expendable agents for impossible missions. Succeed, and I'll shave time off your sentences. If we don't. You'll be dead. Any other stupid questions? The Suicide Squad, ran by Amanda Waller. I'm Amanda Waller. I'm here to indoctrinate you convicts into our special forces. And there's Checkmate, ran by Harry Stein. This is the tales of DC Comics, Suicide Squad, and Checkmate. Mostly monthly from Headspeaks. Available on iTunes under Task Force X and under Headcasts over at headspeaks.com. We can also be found on Facebook and Google Plus under Task Force X. Task Force X. Check it out. Or you'll answer to the wall. Nobody's cruise the wall! With head. On today's At the Movies of Head, I'm going to talk about a movie called Paragon. came out in 2010. It was directed by a Mr. Scott Kessler. The screenplay was written by Scott Kessler. And the screen story was written by Terry Richards. Starring Steve Williams as Augustus Carr, Paragon, Joshua Poulos as H, or Mordecai Freeman, Catherine Miriam as Erica Grant, Drew Martin as Corliss Ehrman, and Ari Baval as Tiberius Carr. Before going further with this, let me give full disclosure. Uh, Mr. Scott Kessler, the gentleman that wrote and directed this movie, uh, the creator behind it, uh, I do actually know him. He's a friend of mine, actually a good friend of mine, so again, in all honesty, I am going to try to keep this as unbiased as possible. Um, so to my people that's listening to me, I will try to be fair and unbiased on this. And to Scott, I, again, I am going to be unbiased on this as much as I can. So here we go with it. Spoilers! Yes, be warned that I am going to spoil the hell out of this movie. So uh, if you haven't seen it yet, you plan on watching it, you have been warned. Just in brief, the story is about a nocturnal vigilante known as Paragon, who hunts through the underbelly of Kansas City to find H, a madman who believes his crimes will bring about the end of modern society. So that's the recap of the movie, now going for details about it. Uh, the movie starts with cops investigating the drug-related death of a woman. Uh, I say drug-related, drug there was drugs involved, but she was killed by a man known as H. He ended up cutting her heart out. Uh, the cops are that we're introduced to are, is Tom. I'm sorry, is Rick Newcastle and Dave Squire, who will uh, show up later on in the film. Also, uh, Erica. Well, then we go to Erica Grant, who's a local reporter who receives the heart in the mail that H had cut out. He sends to Erica. Uh, 
we then move on and meet our hero, Augustus Carr, and his buddy Corliss. We're discussing H and the drug that he's peddling, called Siege. Corliss, who is Augustus's right-hand man, his sidekick, if you will, tells us that the drug Siege causes about 20 minutes of pure ecstasy, followed by pure hell. At the beginning of the movie, we heard H talking when we saw the first dead body. Now we actually get our first look at H. Uh, he's going in. There's this room full of junkies sitting around talking about getting high and stuff and doing drugs. And H comes in. And to make a long story short, he ends up killing most of the druggies. The junkies. The junkies? The junkies. Uh, and I'm going to stop right here for a second and comment on H. Uh, H, otherwise known as Mordecai Freeman, played by Joshua Poulos. I like him. I, I think I think Joshua did a very very excellent job at playing Mordecai. At uh, he's kind of, the way Mordecai's written and the way uh, Joshua acts him. He's to me he's kind of Joker-esque, if you will, but his own take on it. He's like a Joker type villain to me. He's got that kind of insa he seems to have that insanity that not quite all there bent about him, but he's not the Joker. But uh, I really like H. He's he is one of my top villains I've seen in movies. Even I'm not talking about you know low micro budget movies like this. I'm talking about movies in general. H has got to be up in the top upper tier of my villains as far as favorite villains I like. H, he's very, he's got, a, uh, the way Joshua plays the character, I'm not sure how much of this is Scott's uh, writing and how much of this is Joshua's acting. Uh, I, I would think it's a combination of both. But H is, is a very good villain. I like him. Uh, he's got that right lunacy to me. Uh, I don't know, I just, I can go on all day talking and saying the same things about how great I thought Mordecai was as a villain, but... So anyways, Mordecai kills the, most of the junkies. Uh, one of them is, is near death. We then cut to uh, the two cops that I mentioned earlier, Rick Newcastle and Dave Squire, investigating the scene of all the, the dead junkies. We find out that Miss Erica Gramp, the reporter, uh, is friends with Dave, and so she convinces him, convinces him to let her examine the crime scene by herself. While she's doing so, Paragon arrives... And she meets our mysterious hero. Let me stop here for another minute. Um, let me comment on Mr. Uh, Paragon's costume. I've spoken to Scott about this. And the costume, basically, if I'm not mistaken, comes from just things he had laying around his house when it came time to shoot. Uh, I believe he had a different costume in mind. It didn't work out right. Couldn't get it or something. Uh, the costume, while it's very plain, I like it. It's really neat. It's It's not your traditional superhero costume, but it's still a costume. The costume is just a, a coat with a red hood and a black... Uh, I don't know what to use. It's a black covering that covers his entire face. So you don't see any facial features. And that's another thing that I like about it is that most actors, you can t constantly got to see their face. And yes, Paragon does pull his mask off. You do see his face. But... I think that uh, Steve Williams does a magnificent job of conveying emotion and getting his point across, even with the mask on that covers his entire face, which is hard work for an actor to convey emotion and to get sometimes get their point across when their face is covered because it covers up all their facial features and it makes acting harder. Steve Williams does it like a pro. 
I think Steve Williams is a fantastic actor. Uh, he does a great job as Paragon and as a, as Augustus. I wouldn't mind seeing this gentleman do some other stuff. But, again, definitely Paragon's a great character, and I, I love his costume. But enough about that. Let's get back to the show. Uh, due to info and give... Yeah, try that again. Due to inf, info, that's information, and evidence received from Erica, Paragon has discovered that the drug mutates and becomes what the person is taking it needs to feel fantastic for a while. So it's some sort of drug that, like I say, once it takes, ingested, it adjusts and it changes itself when it's in the body to be what you need it to be. Uh, Paragon hunts down and finds some of H's possible goons, and while interrogating them, again, he does get beat up a little bit, but he gives better than he gets, or reverses that. He, he gives, yeah, he gives out better than what he gets. But they're able to inject him with a uh, small amount of siege. So he gets out of there, gets away from these punks, and as he's wandering through the street, drugged up, trying to find his way home, we get flashbacks of him growing up with his wacko dad. And I think this was a nice way for uh, Scott to give us Paragon's backstory. Uh, we find out a little more about who Paragon is, where he came from, via these flashbacks while he's on the drugs. It's a way to, uh, I thought it was a nice way for him to show us a little more about Paragon, let us get inside his head, without slowing the story down. Uh, due to the flashbacks, uh, we find out that he's, his dad thought he was a savior, who has to sacrifice Augustus's life to save the world. Uh, we also find out that at one time, H, the, the villainous bad guy, Mordecai, was friends with Augustus. Also during the flashback, we find out that Corliss, who is Paragon's assistant, if you will, or his sidekick, was his dad's right-hand man. And he was called The Witness. Uh, Corliss and, and uh, Paragon's dad... Both said that Corliss can't die uh, during one of their camp revival meetings or whatever. Corliss drinks some poison, and he also says that his blood is deadly to humans, uh, which will come back into play in the sequel. That's getting ahead of myself. Uh, H was kicked out of the camp for dissent. Uh, he thought that things weren't going the way it should, and he was speaking up against uh, Paragon's dad, or Augustus's dad, and so he was kicked out of the camp. Back in present time, uh, the goons report back to H about the visitor. H questions the men. They find out he finds out that well, they didn't kill him. They think that the guy's gonna die because they injected him with enough drug. H like, so you're telling me you let this guy live? He's out there wandering the streets with enough of my chemical in his body that he might be able to use it to find an antidote or to, to find information on it. Get out there and find him and kill him. Again, I like the way uh, H uh, went off on the goons. Uh, that was really good. Uh, meanwhile, H then sends Erica, the reporter, some threatening photos. You know, so he's watching her and basically threatening to kill her. So she ends up calling Paragon for help. Corliss meets her over at a place called Kessler Park. I like that. Nice little nod there to the uh, writer and director and creator, Scott Kessler. Uh, she's followed by Dave, the cop, who is in turn killed by H. Uh, we get a little chase scene, a little runny-runny fight-fight, because, again, it's followed by a fight scene. So a little run-run, fight-fight. 
A nice fight scene between Paragon and H. Uh, Paragon's getting an upper hand on H when Rick shows up, chasing off Paragon. At this point, we find out that Officer Rick is actually indeed working with H. Well, I say working with, working for H. Because H isn't the kind of man that you work with, but you work for him. Uh, Perigo, 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 who's that? Is that the sequel? I don't know. Paragon goes onto the news to expose H in his plans to build a golem because he's trying to save the world. Uh, reporter Vivian Wells and also announces that H has killed Officer David Squire. Uh, H then kidnaps Erica's boss and kills him. H releases a video to the internet detailing his vision for the world and his plans for uh, saving the world from ourselves. Another fighty fight fight scene, fighting McFighterstein, where Paragon fights H's thugs once again. Rick and Erica shows up. Rick tries to take Paragon into custody. Rick uh, pets Paragon and Erica into this police cruiser, and they head out, and they end up meeting up with H. At this point, he reveals to them that he's actually working with H. Even though we found that out earlier, he reveals it to our hero and the damsel in a dress. I mean, damsel in distress. Paragon is able to escape from uh, Rick and hunts H down. H, meanwhile, has uh, killed Rick and is about to kill Erica on the internet. Uh, he's going to use her as the brains for his juggernaut, as he calls it. Uh, again, Paragon shows up, rescues Erica, and another little fighter fight, fight fightster between H and Paragon occurs. Again, another great fight scene. Corliss, try that again, kids. Corliss shows up in the nick of time and hits H with the car he's in, saving Augustus. And again, Corliss throughout the show makes comments about, you know, people asking about the car he's driving. You know, nice car. He's like, not my car. So again, he hits H with the car and Augustus asks him, or Paragon asks him, you know, about the car. And again, he pops off, not my car. Corliss checks on Augustus. And while he's doing so, H vanishes in pure comic book style. I like that. Vanishes into the night. We cut to weeks later. Paragon uh, sends Erica a letter letting her know that they are still hunting H down. And we get the end credits scene. Or the end credits. Uh, again, as I said, it's a very... It, overall, it's a really great movie. I enjoy it. Um... The acting, for the most part, is really good. Uh, again, this is a micro, low-budget movie, uh, or low-budget micro-movie or something to that effect. Uh, but the main actors are all do a fantastic job. Um, <clears throat> having said that, some of the bit characters, uh, the news uh, newspaper, no, the news report I mentioned earlier, uh, what was her name, Vivian Wells, uh, she's kind of a crappy actress. Sorry, uh... The thugs that Corliss, or not Corliss, the thugs that Augustus beats up, and the punks that H kills near the beginning of the movie. Not great actors. You do what you can deal with, I guess. But again, the main cast, though, to me, saves this movie, as far as the acting goes. Uh, St Steve Williams, he's a fantastic actor. He's great as both uh, Paragon and as Augustus Carr. Um, as I said earlier, Joshua Poulos does a fantastic job as H, a.k.a. Mordecai Freeman. He does, he's fantastic. I love him. 
Uh, Catherine, Miriam, she does a decent job as Erica. Not doesn't hit out of the ballpark, but she does a serviceable job. Serviceable, jo- serviceable, serviceable job. Drew Martin, uh, guy that plays Corliss, great actor. I, I think Corliss is a great character. Uh, Drew does a fantastic job playing Corliss. Uh, both the cops, uh, Rick Newcastle, who's played by Tom Carlson, and Dave Squire by Vincent Molisa, Molika, whatever. Uh, both of them, phenomenal job. I enjoy again. I enjoy the main cast. Uh, and I didn't really speak much about uh, Paragon's father except for the flashback, played by Ari Bavel. Uh, sorry if I'm butchering the name. He played Tiberius Carr, Paragon or uh, Augustus's dad. I think he does a great job playing a fanatical uh, leader of a religious group. He did a great job. You almost believe that he is this nut job. Uh, But again, that entire main cast I've mentioned, great job. I just have some issues with some of the extras, some of the the peons in the movie. Not so great. Uh, I don't like to say that because, you know, again, Scott's a friend of mine. But I'm sure he did what he did. Or we had to do with the actors he had access to. Uh, but again, you bring back this main cast or any of them in the next movie, and I'm for it. And I have seen the next movie, Paragon 2. Uh, some of the main cast, the main two, uh, Paragon and Corliss does return. Uh, they do an excellent job there also. I definitely uh, enjoy their performance. As far as the score and the music in the movie... Uh, I am into old school rap, as I may have said before. Uh, Curtis Blow, Run DMC, the uh, Fat Boys, uh, Fresh Prince, things like that's why that's my music. Having said this, I know Scott his, his music choices. Uh, this is more of I guess rock or uh, harder hitting music. It's not my style, but for the movie it's in, it was fantastic choices. Uh, I, I think the music, I think the score was all fantastic. Uh, great work there. And as far as the camera work, uh, some of the camera work was a little, uh, I'm trying to think of the right word. I mean, it was all, overall, it was shot good. I enjoyed it. It was shot, I mean, you can't, it's not, it's not, it doesn't look like a, a big production movie, but it's not. So, I mean, as far as the micro independent film, I, I thought the camera work was really good. Uh, and actually, I guess I'm talking about the camera quality. The camera work was really good as far as shots and scenes they did. Um, again, the dialogue in the movie was, for the most part, was great. Some of it was a little corny, maybe. But again, as I, I've talked about in other places, corny is not always bad. Uh, I enjoyed it. Again, a lot of the dialogue, uh, yeah, a lot of the dialogue was kind of comic book oriented, I would think, in my opinion. But seeing how this is a superhero comic book related movie and Scott is a comic book fan of sorts. Or, I guess not a source, but he's a comic book fan. Uh, it's to be expected. Uh, I thought the, the writing was fantastic. Um, again, I'm coming from a place where I, I know Scott. I've heard his work before. I've read his work before. Uh, I think Scott's a great writer. Uh, I thought he did a good job as directing. I, I definitely enjoyed the movie. In fact, which brings me to my final uh, comments. Oh, no, actually, one more comment before the final comments. So he's, this is my next to my final comments. The costumes, I've already talked about. It. I mean, most people had regular clothes on. Not much really in the costume department, but I thought Mordecai, H, 
did a good job. I thought his costume looked really good. And uh, not necessarily costume, but the clothes he wore. Again, I'm not sure how much of that was Scott's choice and how much of that is just, hey, we got to wear. This one I'm wearing. Okay, wear it. But, uh, again, as I talked about earlier, I, I thought that uh, Paragon's costume was magnificent. It was very comic booky, but also real world. So I thoroughly enjoyed that. Uh, overall rating the movie, again, as you can tell, I, I thoroughly enjoyed the movie. I really liked it. Uh, yes, it, it's not the Avengers. It's not Batman Begins. It's not a high, you know, multi-million dollar project. The guy did with what he had, the money he had. It's an independent film. I thought it was a damn good film. If I had to give it a score, I would say probably a B... High B, B plus. Yeah, let's give it. A, we'll give it a B plus. I would give Paragon a good B plus, as far as the movie goes. Uh, again, some of the, the extras they could use some work. Uh, some of the sounds was a little off. Not as far as off as far as people speaking, but just the sounds wasn't horrible. But you know, it could have maybe used a little bit of work. I mean, yeah, I enjoyed the acting. Oh, maybe an A minus, a B plus, uh, an A minus, somewhere in that range. Uh, I thought it was really good. I enjoyed it. I definitely recommend going out and picking it up. Why well, say going out? Going out to the inner tubes. Uh, you can get it from his website. I've talked about it before. I've, I've pocked his website before. You can check out his website at creativethreatfilms.com. Uh, from there, you can buy his movies. He's got several movies out so far. Deep River. Which is kind of like a, uh, a gang, uh, not gangster, but a, uh, a cop thriller type movie. Paragon, Paragon 2, which are both superhero movies, and his wrestling documentary, documentary, Restless. Uh, but again, definitely check out Creative Threat Films. And he's also on Facebook at Creative Threat Films on Facebook. Definitely check out uh, Scott's website, check out uh, his movies. I, I can't recommend this guy enough. His website, his work. Uh, he's working on a current film called Mercy House, uh, or sorry, Mercy House Split. Definitely, uh, I'm looking forward to hearing that, seeing that one. Uh, but I guess that's all I got to say about that. Again, check out Creative Threat Films, check out Paragon, uh, a great movie. But as Forrest said, that's all I got to say about that. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hi folks, Sean Ingle here. And Strange Disembodied Voice here. And we're here to talk about the new direction going on over at Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast. Like our in-depth coverage of the Howard Chaikin pen, Guy Gurker collateral damage. No, because that book was utter sh**. But we are moving into the Judd Winnick run on Green Lantern, where we'll get stories about psychotic ring wielders, teenage sexual identity issues, and Kyle becoming a nearly godlike being. And yet, still not as weird as Guy Gardner's warrior face. Yeah, you may have a point there. Plus, we'll be covering the ancillary books that came out at the same time, including Circle of Fire, A Thousand and One Emerald Knights, The Black Circle Green Arrow Crossover, and so much more. Which will easily make up for not covering collateral damage. Also, if you're subscribing to the show via iTunes, be sure to go to Two True Freaks Presents Just One of the Guys to make sure you get new episodes updated weekly. So, they kicked you off the main feed? Uh, no, they just streamlined it, so the two True Freaks proper shows would only be on it. 
Are you sure it's not because Scott doesn't want a Green Lantern podcast on the network? Uh, no. In fact, he's spoken very glowingly about the show. I mean, he's even offered to come on into a guest bit. He said he really likes it, and despite his fact that he doesn't like Green Lantern all that much, he's come check out Just One of the Guys over at TwoTrueFreaks.com and subscribe in iTunes at Two True Freaks Presents Just One of the Guys. You'll be glad you did, or double your money back. Yes, that's a new podcast promo I've got in there. I've listened to an episode or two of uh, Sean Engel's, uh, just one of the guys' podcasts during the Conway crossover. A good podcast. Again, I don't have time in my day for another podcast. This is the main reason I don't listen to it entirely. But uh, again, good podcast. Definitely recommend checking it out. Enough about that podcast. Let's get back to mine. Yo, Joe! We'll fight for freedom wherever there's trouble. G.I. Joe is there. G.I. Joe American hero. And the masters of the universe. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Whatever the challenge, they are ready. The Centurions are the visionaries. I am Dungeon Master, your guide in the realm of Dungeons and Dragons. And now, geeking with head. Now I know. And knowing is half the battle. battle. G.I. Joe! On today's Geeking with Head, I'm going to do something a little different, a little special. Um, back in the 80s, uh, DC Comics would preview a new comic book in the middle of a regular comic book. Uh, for instance, you'd be reading Teen Titans, for, or the new Teen Titans, for instance. In the middle of the book, there'd be a bonus book, such as, say, He-Man. So you'd get a bonus comic in the middle of a comic. It's a way they, they used to, to show off some of the new titles, to get some new readers, possibly. Uh, a little bonus for the readers out there. Well, today, kids... I've got that comic within a comic for you. Today, for uh, Geek of Head, we are going to look at a podcast I'm in the process of considering, thinking about starting. Uh, it's going to be called G.I. Joe, A Real American Headcast. <clears throat> yes, as I've talked about before, G.I. Joe was basically my gateway into comics. It was my gateway drug. Um, so I'm thinking about starting a podcast dedicated to G.I. Joe, The Real American Hero, the Marvel comic book series from the late 80s, early 90s. And recently been picked up and continued by IDW Publishing. Uh, so, what follows? It's about an hour and some change. It's a premiere episode of G.I. Joe, A Real American Headcast. Uh, check it out. Let me know what you think. Uh, would you guys like to hear more of G.I. Joe? Uh, feel free to send me your thoughts. You can email me either at head at headspeaks.com or G.I. Joe at headspeaks.com. But sit back again. It's, it runs about an hour and some change. Uh... I enjoy doing it. Uh, check it out. Let me know what you think. Welcome to the newest addition to the Headcast family. This is G.I. Joe, a real American headcast. 
In this episode, we're going to talk a little bit about G.I. Joe and its history, my connection to G.I. Joe, and we're just going to introduce you to the love of G.I. Joe. Here we go, kids. There's trouble. G.I. Joe is there. G.I. Joe is there. It's G.I. Joe against Cobra and Destro fighting to save the day. He never gives up. He's always there. Fighting for freedom over land and air. G.I. Joe G.I. Joe is there. G.I. Joe, the real American headcast, is the code name for Aaron's daring. Highly trained headcast. Its purpose? To podcast about G.I. Joe, Fighting Cobra, a ruthless terrorist organization determined to rule the world. Never gives up, he'll stay till the fight's won. G.I. Joe will dare. G.I. Joe. Welcome to G.I. Joe, a real American headcast. My name is Aaron Moss, and I'll be your host. On this mostly monthly podcast, I plan on covering the Marvel Comics, G.I. Joe, A Real American Hero, and IWD's comic of the same name. Also, the special missions and the yearbooks, quite possibly the G.I. Joe versus Transformers and the Order of Battle. And we'll also take a, a little look at some of the toys, possibly, the cartoons, the movie news, uh, anything G.I. Joe related. But again, our main focus is going to be on the Marvel Comics uh, from the 80s, G.I. Joe, A Real American Hero, and then the IWD, A Real American Hero, where they've picked it up here recently. Uh, so go ahead and strap yourselves in and hold on, kids. In this first episode, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the comics, toys, cartoons, the movies, a little history of G.I. Joe, uh, why I'm doing this podcast, why I love G.I. Joe, just a little bit about G.I. Joe in general. But as I say, no man is an island, so I'm going to be doing this podcast. I'd like to hear from you guys. Let me know what you think. Go ahead and send me an email to yojo, that's one word, y-o-j-o-e, at headspeaks.com, h-e-a-d-s-p-e-a-k-s, dot c-o-m. And if you prefer to send in an mp3 with your ramblings on it, feel free. I can play that on the air. Uh, but the most important thing is to uh, get involved. Let me know what you think. Uh, give me your feelings, your thoughts. Uh, reach out to me, guys. That's what I'm here for. Also, just a little more about me. I have two other headcasts. My original one is called Head Speaks, where I talk about comics, movies, uh, things that interest me, uh, just whatever comes up in my mind. And then I have my Task Force X headcast, which is uh, where I cover... John Ostinger's Suicide Squad comics, and Paul Kupperberg's Checkmate comics uh, from the late 80s, early 90s. Uh, both of those, again, are on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and on my website, headspeaks.com, and they're both available uh, mostly monthly, uh, when I can. Uh, for more personal information about me, definitely check out Headspeaks. Uh, besides comics and movies and what have you, I do talk about myself on there. I'm going to save this podcast for the most important thing I'm going to be talking about, G.I. Joe. But uh, before we get to our first, started on our uh, first conversation for the day, 
I'm going to go and play some advertisements from some other great podcasts. Uh, sit back, check them out, and uh, I'll be right back with you. G.I. Joe will return after these messages. Hey listeners, it's Ryan Daly here to give you an exciting sneak peek at the Secret Origins Podcast, a review show dedicated to the post-crisis Secret Origins comics. Secret Origins told or retold or occasionally reimagined the origins of many of DC's legendary superheroes, including Superman, Batman, The Flash, Green Lantern, Green Arrow, Jonah Hex, Nightwing, Plastic Man, Batgirl, Blackhawk, Black Lightning, Booster Gold, Detective Chimp, The Legion of Superheroes, and a hundred others. But I won't be alone in my coverage of these epic stories. I'm bringing the best and brightest and irredeemablest guest stars from the blogosphere and podcast community, such as Chris Franklin from the Supermates podcast. I think this is a great idea for a podcast, and I wish I thought of it first, but it's in good hands. Chris and I are going to be reviewing the first issue of Secret Origins, which tells the story of the Golden Age Superman. And now, Chris, I don't know if this has ever come up before on your own show, but would you say you're much of a Superman fan? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I am definitely a Superman fan. Uh, Superman, the movie, is still my favorite movie of all time. That's my Star Wars. I don't remember a time when I didn't know who Superman was. Tim Wallace from Court Industries, a blog devoted to Blue Beetle. My friends, my close friends, would probably tell you that Aquaman was my favorite hero, and they wouldn't be too far off from the truth. But there was already a pretty decent blog covering Aquaman, so I went for my number two, which was which was Blue Beetle. And this issue actually has a lot to do with uh, why he's one of my favorites. Luke Giaconetti from the Hawkman blog being Carter Hall in the Earth Destruction Directive podcast. Thank you for having the, the enthusiasm to talk about Halo, because this <laughs> is not a character that I know much about. Uh, you know, it's uh, I'm 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 one of the oddballs in that I'm an Outsiders fan who doesn't like the Teen Titans, so <laughs> I f- I figure I'm I'm pretty much required to do my my uh, you know my due diligence in defending the members of the Outsiders team, especially one of the originals, Siskoid from Siskoid's blog of geekery and the Hero Points podcast. One of the subjects I keep returning to is Golden Age superheroes. I like exploring the the history of comics, and especially DC Comics, which has the biggest load of, uh, of Golden Age heroes. In Secret Origins is full of these, because Roy Thomas wrote um, you know, half the series or so, and just like he wrote a lot of Golden Age heroes and brought Golden Age heroes to, the, um, to our attention in the 80s, which was when I started reading comics. And of course, Rob Kelly from the Fire and Water podcast. The plan was, all this time, once we finished Who's Who, we were going to do the Secret Origin series. That was our next ga- our next uh, big project, and you have swooped in and stolen it. And I'm just saying, you better not screw this up. I mean, you're on episode four, and you brought in your biggest guest star yet. But from here, if it's just downhill, I'm going to be really ticked off that you ruined our idea. Mm, I wasn't really listening to any of that. Plus more incredible guests, including Sean Engel, Chad Bokelman, Kyle Benning, Nathaniel Wayne, Paul Scavito, Greg Araujo, Tom Paneris, Doug Zawissa, Aaron Moss, Alan Middleton, Max Romero, Gene Hendricks, Stella, Ange, Diablo Frank, and possibly even more. Join us as we uncover the secret origins of all your favorite DC heroes, except for Wonder Woman, and Aquaman, and Supergirl, 
and the Huntress, and Red Tornado, and Mira, and Aqualad, and Jon Stewart, the Green Lantern, and Wildcat, and Metamorpho, and Geoforce, and Mr. Terrific, and Snap The Secret Origins Podcast. I definitely recommend checking out the Secret Origins podcast. I've listened to the first episode. It was great. Talked about Superman. Um, Ryan plans on covering the entire 50 issues plus the annuals, I believe, of that run. Uh, Definitely check it out. Especially check out episode, I think it's probably going to be 14. Uh, It's Secret Origins issue 14, The Suicide Squad. He's going to have a great co-host on that one, hopefully. Uh, Yeah, I'm supposed to show up on that episode, so... Definitely check out Secret Origins. But enough about Ryan and his Secret Origins podcast. Uh, let's continue off my G.I. Joe. So the first thing we're going to talk about today is, well, the main thing we're here for, the comics. All this information I'm going to give to you came from Wikipedia. Some of this I knew already. Uh, some I found out from Wikipedia. Uh, so sit back, take a listen to the history of the G.I. Joe, the comics. G.I. Joe, a real American hero, is a comic book that was published by Marvel Comics from 1982 to 1994. Based on Hasbro Inc.'s G.I. Joe, A Real American Hero line of military-themed toys, the series has been credited for making G.I. Joe into a pop culture phenomenon. G.I. Joe was also the first comic book to be advertised on television in what has been called a historically crucial moment in media convergence. The series was written for most of the 155-issue run by comic book writer, artist, and editor Larry Hama. It was notable for its realistic, character-based storytelling style, unusual for a toy comic at the time. Hammer wrote the series spontaneously, never knowing how a story would end until it was finished, but worked closely with the artist, giving them sketches of the characters and major scenes. While most stories involved the G.I. Joe team battling against the forces of Cobra Command, an evil terrorist organization, many also focused on the relationships and background stories of the characters. Hammer created most characters in collaboration with Hasbro, and used a fi- system of file cards to keep track of the personalities and fictional histories of the characters, which later became a major selling point for the action figure line. G.I. Joe was Marvel's top-selling subscription title in 1985 and was receiving 1,200 fan letters per week by 1987. It's a whole lot. The series has been credited with bringing in a new generation of comic book readers since many children were introduced to the comic book medium through G.I. Joe, and later went on to read comics. That's me also. We'll get that a little bit later on. The series was so popular with women because it features so many strong female characters. The comic book has been reprinted several times and has been translated into multiple languages. In addition to direct spin-offs of the comic books, several revivals and reimaginings have been published throughout the 2000s. So that's the backstory on G.I. Joe. Now let's get a little bit of its history. Hasbro noted Star Wars popularity, so they relaunched relaunched G.I. Joe as a 3.75-inch figures instead of the old 12-inch figures. They talked to Marvel President about doing some backstories. Larry Hama was working on a pitch for a Fury Force series. Uh, That would have been the son of Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., and his force that he was working on, uh, which he had ended up adapting into G.I. Joe. Hama did it because no one else wanted to. At the time when he was asked, he said, Heck, if they'd asked me to write Barbie, I would have done that too. I don't know if that's how Larry Hama sounded, but that's how he sounds in my head. Uh, anyways, Archie Goodwin, I believe he was an editor over at Marvel at the time, said that the enemy should be called Cobra Command. 
kind of like Hydra. Uh, the first issue was in June of 1982, and it had two stories in it, uh, which we'll get to next month. Uh, it introduced the Pit, the original 13 members, Cobra Commander, and the Baroness. And just so you know, the comic uh, predated the toy by a little bit. Most of the stories were completed in one issue, what's reco- what, what were called a one-and-done. Done in one? Whichever, you know. Uh, but there were some that were multi-part stories. Uh, after the first year, they started introducing subplots. I- issue 11 introduced Destro and the 1983 toy line. It established a pattern of introducing the New Year's figures and vehicles. A highlight was issue 21, which is known as the silent issue, and issues 26 and 27, which is Sinkai's origin. Kama uh, considers issues 26 and 27 his favorite issues. Um, and you know what? I've got to agree with Larry. Uh, 26 and 27, the, the Snake Eyes Origins, that was a great two issues right there. That's probably one of my favorite issues of their run also. In 1986, issue 49 introduced the new character called Serpentor, which uh, was followed by the TV show. And issues 73 through 76 was another, in my opinion, great story arc, The Cobra War, the Cobra, the battle for Cobra Island, which you'll hear about in the future sometime. Uh, most toy comics lasted only about two years. G.I. Joe lasted for 12. It was a huge success. In the 90s, the quality dropped a little bit and was canceled in 1994 with issue 155 uh, due to low sales. In fact, I have to agree. After issue, after the low 100s, the stories weren't as good. I don't know if Larry was getting burned out or what was going on, but in fact, I kind of drifted away from it around that point also. Uh, the toy line was canceled the same year, 1994. Uh, a quote from Larry Hama, the creator and father of GI Joe, as I said, it reached the end of its half-life. Until GI Joe and Transformers, toy books had a life expectancy of one to two years. Three years was considered a long time. Hasbro didn't expect the toy line to have much life in it. Also, the market changed completely. When I first started doing store signings, there were lines around the block, and it was all 10-year-old boys. The last time I did a store signing in New York City, everybody was over 30, and two of the guys who showed up were mailmen who had skipped off their routes to get their books signed. So, again, I think what it was was a lot of the kids started reading the comic, and then... They followed up with it and just kept reading it, and I know I did. Though I was a teenager when I first found it, a late teenager, but we'll get into that a little bit later on. Um, they were able to advertise the comic on TV, uh, which was allowed. Uh, in fact, it was the first comic book that was ever advertised on TV. And one reason they did that was because toys could only have 10 seconds of cartoon, of animation, Whereas comics could use the entire 30 seconds of animation. So what they did was they advertised the comic, in air quotes, but they would feature all the toys. And so it's just a, a way for them to advertise their toy line and get around the whole, you only have 10 seconds of advertising or of animation in your ads. Yeah, that's my son, Grayson. He's four months old. He spent his two cents in on G.I. Joe. Um, moving on. G.I. Joe featured an ensemble cast with the original 13 characters being Hawk, Stalker, Breaker, Clutch, Scarlet, Snake Eyes, Rock and Roll, Steeler, Grand Slam, Flash, Short Fuse, Grunt, 
and Zap. This reflected their origins in the Hasbro toy line, with the initial characters being the same as the action figures in the original 1982 release of the toy line. The team roster expanded as additional action figures were released. Larry Hamm would go on to create new characters with Hasbro. Hasbro would send sketches and brief descriptions of the military specialties. Hammond would create the background cards, giving them life and character. Uh, Larry Hammond kept track of all the characters on file cards, which Hasbro apparently liked and then started using with the toys, which I'll get to in just a few minutes here. Uh, Larry Hammond based characters on people he knew. To him, continuity meant nothing. He was concerned more with the characters than uh, keeping track of continuity. And for, for having that mindset, in my opinion, I, I, I'll say right now, I think the comics did a pretty good job of keeping a continuity, but not being slavish to it. Because, again, he, he didn't really care too much about continuity. He was more worried about good characterization. So he did a good job, in my opinion. But we'll get to that. As far as spinoffs, uh, first there was the yearbook. It had articles about the cartoon, summary of the plot of the date, and a couple of short stories. It ran from 1985 until 1988. Uh, they came out yearly, for the most part. Uh, in 1986, we saw a new series called G.I. Joe Special Missions. It ran 28 issues. It came out at the same time as G.I. Joe Issue 50. Uh, Special Missions was more intense violence and more ambiguous morality. It basically focused on standalone missions with a small group of Joes, whereas the G.I. Joe American Hero proper was... Uh, they told, didn't mind telling longer stories, had more of a cast to it. Uh, overall, again, I enjoyed the special missions. I thought it was a great series. And some issues did tie into the book. Uh, we'll get to that eventually. And then there was the Order of Battle. Uh, it was four issues in 1986 and 1987. And basically all it did was reprinted the file cards with a little bit more information on the characters. Issues 1 and 2 focused on the G.I. Joe members. Uh, issue 3 focused on Cobra. And Issue 4 fixed featured the vehicles and some updates. And then it was collected in a trade paperback in 1987. Then there was G.I. Joe vs. Transformers. This was four issues. It came out in 1987. Uh, it was also collected in a paperback. The most important thing that came out of this uh, storyline has to do with Transformers. In the comic, G.I. Joe vs. Transformers, uh, Bumblebee was blown up and was rebuilt as Goldbug which again carried over to the Transformers comic. As far as reprints, uh, the first 37 issues was reprinted in 13 digests of G.I. Joe magazine. There was also a comic called Tales of G.I. Joe, which ended up reprinting the first 15 issues. It had a higher quality paper stock. I think I actually bought some of these. I know I bought some of the uh, digests. That's how I read a lot of the back issues before I actually bought them. I had a handful of the uh, digests I bought. But again, we'll get to that here in a little bit. Uh, there was also G.I. Joe European Missions, which was published monthly from June of 1988 until August 1989. The European Missions series are all reprints of the Action Force Monthly, which was basically a G.I. Joe that was published in the U.K. These were all original stories, and they were, they were not written by Larry Hama. Over in the U.K., what it was, they uh, took G.I. Joe, and they called it Action Force Monthly, and uh, they had some other writer writing on it. And so America decided to Marvel republished them under European missions. In 2001, 
Devil's Due had a four-issue limited series entitled G.I. Joe, A Real American Hero, Reinstated. Uh, they had good sales, and they upgraded it to a regular series that lasted 43 issues, and then they canceled it and relaunched it as G.I. Joe, America's Elite, for 36 issues. Uh, the contract expired in 2006, and it wasn't renewed. Uh, as far as G.I. Joe, the first 50 issues was published in trade paperback form with 10 comics per trade paperback with covers by J. Scott Campbell. Uh, and again, these were released by Devil's Due. Then in 2009, IDW republished the originals as classic G.I. Joe. Again, they had 10 per volume, and the last few collections had slightly more issues in order to conclude with the 15th paperback volume, which was published in August of 2012. Uh, they also reprinted the special missions and the annuals. So it looks like IDW published the entire run of G.I. Joe in uh, 15 volumes. So again, if you were looking to get a G.I. Joe, that may be the best way to go is through the IW, IDW reprints of them, because they have the entire run. Uh, anyways, IDW then restarted G.I. Joe, A Real American Hero, with issue number 155 and a half, and continuing on. And this was back in 2010. And they basically picked up the storyline from where it was at and carried on with it, which is still being published to this day. And again, I'll get to that once I get to issue 155. I plan on hitting 155 and a half and continuing on from there. But that's about the G.I. Joe comic. Uh, give me just one minute, and I'll be right back with you. G.I. Joe will return after these messages. Zod. It is I, Darkseid. I command you to listen to the Who's Who podcast. Uncover the powers and weaknesses of the Super Friends so that I may destroy them. Aquaman and Superman, Animal Man and Plastic Man, Firestorm and Nuclear Man, Batman and Hawkman, 2D Man and Hour Man. Who are all these people, man? They're all part of the DC. Who's Who? Ultra Boy and Booster Gold, Lightning Lass and Hippolyta, Phantom Stranger, Dedrick, and Arisian, Woody Winks. Hey, hey, hey. What? What about that one guy? What guy? Mr. Pretzel, Mr. Lipstick, Mr. Mitzelfuzzle? Mr. Mitzi's Pitlick? Yeah, him. He's also part of the DC Who's Who. Who's Who, the definitive podcast of the DC Universe. Available monthly at Aquaman Shrine, Firestorm Fan, and on iTunes and Stitcher as part of the Fire and Water Podcast. A secret governmental organization operating behind the scenes. Task Force X. Task Force X is an off-the-books government strike team made up of convicts with no hope for release, serving as expendable agents for impossible missions. Succeed, and I'll shave time off your sentences. If we don't. You'll be dead. Any other stupid questions? The Suicide Squad, ran by Amanda Waller. I'm Amanda Waller. 
I'm here to indoctrinate you convicts into our special forces. And there's Checkmate, ran by Harry Stein. This is the tales of DC Comics, Suicide Squad, and Checkmate. Mostly monthly from Headspeaks. Available on iTunes under Task Force X and under Headcasts over at headspeaks.com. We can also be found on Facebook and Google Plus under Task Force X. Task Force X. Check it out. Or you'll answer to the wall. Nobody screws the wall! Now let's move on and talk about the toys for G.I. Joe. There, back in the 60s and 70s, G.I. Joe was a 12-inch toy. Action figure. Uh, <laughs> then it was reintroduced as a 3 and 3 quarter inch action figure that I mentioned earlier. Uh, how it happened was, uh, per Jim Shooter anyway, which was editor-in-chief at the time, he said the president or CEO of Hasbro was at a charity event that Marvel's president was also at. They ended up in the men's room, standing next to each other peeing. And I think that's how they met. They were talking about each other's respective business, and it came up that Hasbro wanted to reactivate the trademark on G.I. Joe, but they were trying to come up with a new approach. Marvel's guy was like, eh, we have the best creative people in the world. Let me bring this editor-in-chief of mine, and we'll fix it for you. And so the comic was born. Uh, Marvel suggested doing some female toys and include them with the vehicles, but Hasbro didn't think they would sell on their own. Each figure came with a file card. It appears that Larry Hama wrote most of these. As I said earlier, apparently Larry Hama had used the file card idea for the uh, writing the comic. Hasbro heard about this or saw it and decided to uh, incorporate it into their action figures, give a little more collectability. Uh, the overall premise for the toy line revolves around the elite counter-terrorist team codename G.I. Joe, whose main purpose is to defend human freedom from Cobra, a ruthless terrorist organization determined to rule the world. In fact, if you watch the cartoons, they told you this every episode. Uh, Larry Hamm was given free reign by Marvel. Uh, Marvel Productions overspent on the cartoon. It was considered a critical success, but a financial disaster. In 1994, Hasbro transferred the toys to Kenner, canceling G.I. Joe, and they started something called the Sergeant Savage and his Commandos. In 2000, it was revived as the Real American Hero Collection, uh, the previous molds were used, and some names had to be changed due to copyright issues. In 2002, they relaunched it as G.I. Joe vs. Cobra. They had new designs and characters were introduced. Then we had the 25th anniversary toy line in 2007. Uh, a little more about the toys. Back in 1983, uh, they added the swivel arm. Before, previously, they could only bend at the elbow. After 83, they could actually swivel. Uh, the four series ball joints replaced the former swivel necks. Both the swivel arm and the ball joints gave the figures more posability and made them a better toy. Uh, there was various vehicles and playsets. They were based on or influenced by real or experimental technology. Uh, there was the G.I. Joe Sky, Sky Striker XP 14F fighter plane, which was based on the F-14 Tomcat. The Cobra Rattler, which has similarities to the A-10 Thunderbolt 2. The Dragonfly Attack Copter, which was nearly identical to the Bell AH-1 Cobra. The Cobra Night Raven SP, inspired by the Blackbird SR-71. And the Mobat, M-O-B-A-T, 
tank, which was modeled after the M551 Sheridan. Uh, the missile, sorry, the mobile missile system, MMS, playset was also strikingly similar to the MIM-23 Hawk surface-to-air SAM missile system. However, certain toys were completely original and in-story incorporated technologies that were unavailable at the time, such as the HAL laser artillery and the jump jetpack. Uh, again, as I mentioned earlier, each figure came with a file card. Uh, it did evolve over time, but basically it had a picture, an indication of allegiance, whether it was G.I. Joe, Cobra, uh, the Dreadnoughts, or whatever, code name of the character, their function, their file name, which was their real name of the character, the social security number, primary military specialty, a secondary military specialty, birth plank, birth plank? I'm sorry, it was their birth place, their rank grade, and then a little paragraph detailing the background of the character, such as his or her education, upbringing, training, and then a quote from an unidentified source, usually giving the owner an idea of the character's personality. Now, the enemy characters had some information left off, usually leaving only the picture, a code name, function, and descriptive paragraph in the quote. The 1982-1984 file cards contained information on weapon specialties, but this was removed afterwards with due to concern that children may be given knowledge on firearms and the feeling that a character would only be limited to what he knows how to use. Uh, supposedly, Crystal Ball's card, which was one of the characters in 1987, was written by Mr. Stephen King himself. Uh, by 1988, the file cards no longer contained details about the education and focused more on the character's upbringing or what he or she did prior to joining the G.I. Joe team. In addition to regular information, this new design of card also included a listing of which vehicle the character is licensed to operate. This remained largely, largely unchanged until 1991. Some other toys of interest, uh, back in 1985, they introduced the USS Flag, which was seven and a half feet long, which was probably, I think, the longest place at the time. It was humongous. Always wanted the flag, but I never got it. Uh, the Defiant Space Shuttle and Mobile Command Center came later on, and then they had Battle Force 2000, which was introduced at Christmas time. In 1989, they started pulling back on production due to lack of interest. They started focusing on gimmicks for figures instead of the vehicles. The line officially ended in 1980, or sorry, 1994, and that was it until 1997, when G.I. Joe returned in a limited Toys R Us exclusive line. The Real American Hero Collection, as it was called, included team packs of three figures grouped together by a common theme, such as Commando and Cobra Command, and Mission Packs, which featured classic figures packed with a small vehicle, like a Cobra Flight Pod or a Silver Mirage Motorcycle. The Stars and Stripes box set was also released, featuring members of the original 13 Joes from 1982. The line continued as a Toys R Us exclusive in 1998. One of the rarest G.I. Joe figures, the so-called Pimp Daddy Destro, or PDD for short, was released in 1997 in the Cobra Command Team Pack. It was immediately replaced by a standardized version of the Destro figure. The PDD figure was named for the fact that it had a leopard print accent on Destro's legs and his famous open collar. Only a handful were released into the market, with only one verifiable version mint in box, and two loose versions known to be in existence. It is believed that the versions of PDD that made it to market were productions production samples as opposed to true variants that were changed prior to release and thus were not meant to be seen by the public. 
Then there was the Real American Hero Collection from 2000 to 2002. In 2000, the Real American Hero Collection continued, this time in wide release. Figures were sold in two packs and continued using the original molds as well as the kit-based figures made from parts of various molds. The wide release of the Real American Hero Collection continued through 2001. In 2002, the line was limited to one wave, which is only available to online retailers. Also in 2002, a set called the Sound Attack 8-Pack was released as an exclusive to BJ's Wholesale Club and Fred Meyer stores. Then, in 2007 through 2009, there was the 25th Anniversary. Hasbro announced the release of G.I. Joe's 25th Anniversary Edition figures, which features figures primarily based on a real American hero designs, but with updated sculpting. The line continued through 2008 and 2009. And then in 2011, a new series of figures was released, including characters from G.I. Joe Renegades cartoon series and modernized updates of older characters. And that was the 30th anniversary, which ran from 2011 to 2012. Other products? In 1985, there was a serial based on G.I. Joe, was released called Action Star Serial. There were multiple versions of the serial box, each featuring a different character from the G.I. Joe collection drawn in an action pose. Among the characters pictured were Duke, Gung Ho, Shipwreck, and Quick Kick. The serial itself was a collection of oat and grain pieces shaped like hollowed out stars. The serial was said to have tasted like Captain Crunch. I don't remember this serial, so I can't really speak anything directly about that. There was a television commercial for the cereal, which depicted a little boy making his way to a bowl of cereal, led by the character Duke. After eating the cereal, the boy flies off in the air, following another G.I. Joe, Joe character named Starduster. Of interesting note to G.I. Joe fans and collectors, this was the only time that the action figure Starduster appeared in animated form. He was never part of the cartoon television series. Starduster was also featured in three out-of-continuity mini-comics, which were packaged in the Action Star serial. And that's it for the toys. Uh, now, without further interruption, we're going to move on to the cartoon. The cartoon was a half-hour cartoon based on the toy line. There was two five-part miniseries in 1983 and 1984, and then they had the regular series in 1985 through 1986. Ron Friedman created the G.I. Joe animated series for television, wrote all four miniseries. The fourth miniseries was intended to be a feature film, but as noted, subsequently was released as a television miniseries instead because of production difficulties. Uh, it started out with, in 1983, there was the first one was called G.I. Joe, A Real American Hero, a.k.a. also known as The Mass Device. Destro and Cobra Commander created a teleportation device called The Mass Device. Using satellites, G.I. Joe must create their own, but needs to collect three rare elements that power the device. The next one was called G.I. Joe, The Revenge of Cobra. This featured a device called the Weather Dominator. Uh, during its use, uh, the Weather Dominator breaks into three pieces and is scattered across the world. G.I. Joe must recover the pieces before Cobra can. And then the G.I. Joe series started with the second season of Transformers. And at the end of each episode of G.I. Joe, there was a PSA with the closing tag, and knowing is half the battle. G.I. Joe! Sorry, I love that. Um, in fact, I plan on playing the PSAs at the end of each episode. 
But the G.I. Joe cartoon wasn't tied to the comic book. Each, uh, the comic book and the cartoon universe each had its own separate continuity. Uh, the first episodes of the cartoon was a five episodes entitled G.I. Joe the Pyramid of Darkness. It was shown during prime time and then was broken into a weekly series. It focused on Cobra building the Pyramid of Darkness, which neutralizes all electrical power. Four giant control cubes are to be placed at key locations around the globe. Once the Joe's orbiting space station is seized, the cubes are activated and the pyramid is complete. The Joe's battle Cobra to destroy the pyramid and find the terrorist organization's secret headquarters. Uh, season 2 featured Sergeant Slaughter and started with the uh, five episodes little uh, movie called Arise, Sepento Arise. In that one, Dr. Mindbender has a dream to create the perfect leader to replace Cobra Commander. He takes the DNA of historical ruthless figures and merges them into one being to become the new Cobra leader. Uh, G.I. Joe tries to stop this, but fails, and Serpentor is created. Uh, while they were doing so, uh, one of the DNA strands they were going to use was Sun, Sun Tzu, but G.I. Joe did stop him from getting that, so they ended up using Sergeant Slaughter instead. In the comic, they used uh, Storm Shadow instead of Slaughter. However, in the cartoon, Sergeant Slaughter manages to prevent this, and Mindbender later remarks that without the military discipline that his creation would have inherited from Sun Tzu or Slaughter, his maniacal drive for conquest has no counterbalance. Partly due to the lack of discipline exhibited by Serpentor, the Joes are able to thwart this bid for world domination. Upon his defeat, Serpentor intends to leave Cobra Commander for dead. However, the Commander convinces Serpentor to spare his life, convincing him that he will make an excellent scapegoat for any of his failures. The G.I. Joe team vows to continue to defend the world from the threat of Cobra, even as their enemy now has a powerful new leader. Cobra! Sunbow slash Marvel's G.I. Joe, a real American hero series, ended on November the 20th, 1986, after 95 episodes. Despite G.I. Joe's success, no other studio offered to produce new, a new season until 1989, when Dick, D.I.C., took over. Before that, though, in 1987, they had G.I. Joe the Movie. Uh, it was a direct-to-video, which came out on April the 20th, 1987. G.I. Joe the Movie was intended as a theatrical release to be closely followed by the Transformers the Movie. However, the G.I. Joe film encountered unexpected production delays, which allowed Transformers to come first. Due to poor box office performance, the Transformers film and then My Little Pony film G.I. Joe was relegated to the direct-to-video status before later being split into a five-part miniseries for TV syndication. In G.I. Joe the movie, it introduced a, a group called Cobra Law. Uh, apparently, that wasn't their original name. That was just the... Well, I guess it was the original name, but it wasn't, it wasn't intended to be their name. That was just a placeholder that, that Marvel or Sunbeam, whoever was doing the movie, was using. But Hasbro heard about it, and they loved the name. So they kept the name Cobra Law. Uh, so, as I said, it introduced Cobra Law and the origin of Cobra Commander. Cobra Law's leader was a, uh, I'm going to call him a gentleman named Gobulus, who was played by, or voiced by, Burgess Meredith. Uh, you may know him as the Penguin from the old 60s Batman show. Uh, G.I. Joe was working on something called the BET. No, it's not Black Entertainment Television. 
at the time it was called, it stood for Broadcast Energy Transmitter. There was also new G.I. Joes introduced, called the Rawhides, which was Jinx, Law and Order, Big Lob, Tunnel Rat, Chuckles, and Lieutenant Falcon, which was uh, D Duke's brother, voiced by the uh, popular, at the time, Don Johnson. Out of all these characters I just mentioned, I believe Big Lob was the only one that didn't actually have a uh, action figure created for him. The rest of them had action figures. Uh, then there was Sergeant, Sergeant Slaughter's Renegades, which consisted of Mercer, a former Viper, Red Dog, a Samoan football player banned for excessive roughness, and Taurus, a former circus acrobat. Uh, during the show, just to give spoilers for a uh, movie that's like 30 years old, Cobra Commander was turned into the snake during the movie. Uh, the BT explodes, destroying Cobra Law. Originally, Duke was supposed to die. Uh, Serpentor throws one of his snakes at him and hits him in the chest, and he was supposed to die in the movie. But, as I said previously, the Transformers movie was released. And in that, again, spoilers for another movie that's 30 years old, uh, in Transformers the movie, Optimus Promise... Optimus Promise? Try that again. Optimus Prime died. Uh, due to severe backlash, it caused Hasbro to change their mind and rewrote the movie so that Duke, instead of dying, went to a, was injured and he woke up at the end. Originally, at the end of the film, right before the final battle, they are going to have a funeral for Duke. But again, they decided not to. They pulled it out. Duke ended up living. Uh, then, as I said, in 1989, uh, DIC Entertainment produced a second G.I. Joe series, starting with a five-part miniseries titled Operation Dragonfire. And then a regular series was broadcast in 1990. Uh, just to make a little comment real quick, I remember the Dragonfire cartoon, but I don't remember seeing anything after that. So I don't know if it just didn't air in my area, or if I missed it or what happened, but... As in the past, newer characters with action figures on sale at the time took the spotlight from older and more established ones. As a result, most of the Sunbow series cast was retired in favor of new ones. Some, like General Hawk, Duke, Scarlet Snake Eyes, were retained as they also had new figure out figures out, but they were joined by new creations like Captain Gridiron, Ambush, Pathfinder, Bulletproof, and Sky Patrol. Likewise, Cobra Commander and Destro were joined by Cesspool, Metalhead, Guanahide, and a new assortment of colorful Viper troops. In the last, in the first few episodes, which serves as a link to the old cartoon continuity, some some bow era characters, such as Serpentor and Sergeant Slaughter, did appear briefly. Serpentor was written out, while Slaughter was eventually retired after a 1990-1991 WWF storyline in which his wrestling character turned traitor during the first Gulf War. He was thus disassociated from the entire G.I. Joe franchise. However, this Joe series was not long for syndication, as it only lasted two seasons and about 44 episodes. Uh, the next few years, various cartoon tie-ins to the G.I. Joe franchise were released that had no bearing on the G.I. Joe, a real American hero mythology. Former executive in charge production, Lee Gunther's new studio, Gunther Wall Productions, was contracted and created a new series entitled G.I. Joe Extreme. Extreme! 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 In 1996, featuring new characters and villains. It was the 90s. Of course it was G.I. Joe Extreme. As with the 85 and 90 series, this series was distributed by Clasker Television. With the exception of a fleeting appearance by Cobra Commander 
Hawk and Lady J, the series jettisoned past Joe cartoon history and took a new life of its own. Then, in 2003, there was a CGI direct-to-video cartoon called Spy Troopers. 2004 saw Valor vs. Venom. And then came G.I. Joe Sigma-6. This was an anime-based cartoon. I remember seeing this. Was not impressed at all. Just my own little two cents. I didn't care for it, and it didn't last very long. And then, in November of 20... November 26... Try that again, kids. Then, in November the 26th of 2010, through July the 23rd to 2011, there was a new G.I. Joe cartoon called G.I. Joe Renegades. This lasted 26 episodes. It was a group of young Joes are forced to become fugitives after a spy mission goes horribly wrong that involves the explosion of Cobra's Industries Pharmaceuticals, now branded as Renegades by the media for crimes they didn't commit, they're forced to fight. Pursued by the military, Flint, and Cobra mercenaries, they must use all their skills to prove their innocence and expose the true face of Cobra Industries and its mysterious leaders, Adam Ducobre. In 1972, a crack commando unit was sent to prison by a military court for a crime they didn't commit. These men promptly escaped from a maximum security stockade to the Los Angeles underground. Today, still wanted by the government, they survive as soldiers of fortune. If you have a problem, if no one else can help, and if you can find them, maybe you can hire the A-Team. Yes, this premise did sound a lot like the uh, A-Team. Here's the actual intro to the uh, G.I. Joe Renegades show. Accused of a crime they didn't commit. A ragtag band of fugitives fights a covert battle to clear their names and expose the insidious enemy that is Cobra. Some call them outlaws. Some call them heroes. But these determined men and women think of themselves only as ordinary Joes. And this is their story. If you ask me, it's very, very similar to uh, the A-Team. But having said that, it was an interesting show. The artwork, art style got a little getting used to. It was kind of, I don't know if it was anime-ish or what it was, but it got a little getting used to. But I finally got used to it, and then they canceled the show. Ah, oh, well. The team was made up of Duke, Snake Eyes, Scarlet, Roadblock, Tunnel Rat, and later on they added Ripcord and Breaker. And they had a lot of other Joes you're familiar with coming as guest stars. Uh, and somewhere along the ways, the series just vanished. It didn't really end, per se. Uh, I thought it was coming back for a new season, and we never heard from it again. So that's the uh, cartoons for G.I. Joe. Next, we'll talk about the movies. G.I. Joe will return after these messages. Aquaman and Firestorm fighting crime together. Soak them down or burn them up. No one does it better. Whenever you find trouble, they'll always be there to catch them in a bubble or even torch their hair. 
Fire and Water Podcast, celebrating Aquaman, King of the Seven Seas, and Firestorm, the Nuclear Man. Available weekly on Aquaman Trine, Firestorm Fan, and on iTunes and Stitcher. I'm one of your hosts, the Irredeemable Shag, here to talk about Firestorm. Along with me is my co-host, Rob Kelly, here to talk about some guy that talks to fish. Really? You're going to pull this crap during the promo? Bad enough, I have to put up with your shenanigans every week, but... Hello, I'm Albie. And I'm Heather. And we do the Quantum Leap Podcast. It can be found at QuantumLeapPodcast.com and also on iTunes. We are starting at the beginning of Quantum Leap and going through all the episodes. This is my first time watching and Albie has seen them during their original run. In each podcast, we talk about the overall thoughts of each episode. We do an episode recap if you haven't seen them in a while, just to refresh your memory. And then we do a detailed plot discussion. And we also have some great interviews. Scott Bakula, I remember being very, very uh, generous of spirit and very, very kind to his fellow actors. It was my first kiss ever, ever, so I I am getting to kiss Scott Bakula on screen. And everybody involved with it was just terrific. And I'm always amazed that people come up to me and remember that episode and can quote things from it that I can't even quote. So if you're a leaper... It'd be great if you came and joined us. And if you've never heard of Quantum Leap, it's maybe a good time to start watching it because you have a podcast to go along with it. So please give our podcast a listen and hopefully you like us and stick around. Go to QuantumLeapPodcast.com to listen to new episodes. Next up, let's talk about G.I. Joe the movies. Um, I'm going to go and read, read a recap of them from IMDb. Um, the first one up is G.I. Joe The Rise of Cobra from 2009. Uh, the storyline... Two soldiers, Station and Krakazan, Captain Duke Hauser and his partner Ripcord, are ordered to transport special warheads created by Mars, M-A-R-S, an arms manufacturer controlled by James McCullen. When they're attacked by thieves, led by Anastasia Decobre, a.k.a. the Baroness, whom Duke has a history, they are saved by a top-secret international special forces unit known as G.I. Joe. The leader of G.I. Joe, General Abernathy, or Hawk, is on the trail of the thieves. Naval organization determined to take over the world. Sorry. Uh, Naval organization called Cobra. While Duke and Ripcord are trained to join the Joes, McCullen, a.k.a. Destro, is secretly working for Cobra to, and plotting to capture his metal-eating nanomite warheads. Duke and Ripcord, with help from Heavy Duty, Snake Eyes, and the rest of the Joes, must prove that they are real American heroes. By stopping the launch of these warheads, before, before Cobra can use them to take over the world. Yo, Joe! Uh, this was followed by a sequel in 2013, actually should have been 2012, but for some reason it was delayed, uh, called G.I. Joe Retaliation. Again, the storyline synapses from IMDb. The G.I. Joe team is framed for crimes against the country by Zartan, disguised as the president, and Cobra Commander has all the world leaders under his influence, with their advanced warheads headed towards innocent populaces around the world. Outnumbered and outgunned, the surviving team members form a plan with the original leader, General Joseph Colton, the original G.I. Joe, to rescue the president and face off Cobra Commander, his accomplices, and the world leaders. Yo, Joe! And knowing is half the battle. And that was the last G.I. Joe move to be released. Uh, There are rumors of a G.I. Joe 3 in the works. Uh, Notes I found on this. On April the 1st, 2013, reports service that there will be a third G.I. Joe film 
and it will be likely in 3D. The studio announced that Chu will return to direct the third film, while at the 2013 San Diego Comic-Con, Chu talked about bringing Scarlet back in the next film. The writers of the second film are also thinking about bringing back the Baroness in the sequel. Johnson is interested in returning as Roadblock for the sequel, and Park has talked about a possible return as Snake Eyes, and also including his pet, Wolf Timber. Yes, that'd be so cool. Uh, Bonaventura told Beijing News that he hoped that Johnson and Willis would return. Uh, the script is still in the writing stage, and that they are considering adding a third important role. On September 10th, 2013, Chu was confirmed to direct the film, along with writer Evan Doherty, who wrote Snow White and the Huntsman, Divergent, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, uh, to pen the film script. In December 5th, 2013, Doherty talked about writing the film script and his feelings about Duke being killed, but Chu told MTV that Tatum may return as Duke in the sequel. Darn. That's one thing I really don't want. I don't care for Tatum. If they, I like Duke. I don't care for Chan, Chanum Tatum. Uh, on April the 2nd, 2014, in an interview with Collider, Johnson believes that Chu may not return to direct due to working on the live-action Gem movie, but they may find another director for the film. It was revealed that the third film will have a 2016 release date, at this point anyways. On June 23, 2014, Bonaventura told Collider in an interview that they're meeting with the new directors and filming may start in early 2015. On July 1, 2014, Variety reports that Jonathan Lemkin will write the script for the film it will focus on Roadblock with Dwayne Johnson, a.k.a. The Rock, returning. Then in November of 2014, the studio was in talks with Martin Campbell and DJ Caruso to direct the third film. On February 5, 2015, Film Divider reported that the twins, Tomax and Zamots, and Max Tracker from the TV series Mask will be appearing. On April 2, 2015, the studio hired, hired Aaron Berg to write the film and DJ Caruso to direct. So we'll see where it goes from there. That's the last we've heard. Also, regarding a G.I. Joe Transformers crossover, on March the 28th, 2013, during the release of G.I. Joe Retaliation, producer Lorenzo D. Bonaventura announced that he is open to doing a G.I. Joe Transformers crossover. On July the 26th, 2013, G.I. Joe Retaliation director John M. Chu stated that he is also interested in directing a crossover film. D. Bonaventura stated on June 23, 2014, that a crossover was not likely to happen. However, he later stated that a crossover was still a possibility. I, I don't know. I'm not, I haven't been really happy with the Transformers film, so we'll see. And that about wraps up all the G.I. Joe coverage. We've talked about the comics, the toys, the uh, movies, the TV show. Final thing I'm going to talk about here, why G.I. Joe? Why are you doing this podcast on G.I. Joe, Brotherhead? Well, you see, G.I. Joe has, I don't know, it's, it's I like G.I. Joe. I like the, uh, the cartoons back in the mid-80s, being a child of the 70s, early 80s. I, I grew up on Star Wars. Uh, I had most of the Star Wars figures from the first two movies. And I even watched the G.I. Joe cartoon when it came out in 83, uh, but I didn't get the figures, didn't read the, I wasn't buying comics at the time. And then in 84, as I've talked about on my Head Speaks podcast, uh, our family had a tragic house fire. I'm not going to go into details about that here. If you want to hear more about it, check out some of my Headcast Speaks. 
Head Speaks Headcast. And uh, in one of those episodes, I go into more detail about that. But anyways, after the house fire, I lost all my Star Wars figures. Um, and I just collected other toys. I mean, I didn't really, wasn't really into anything. I, I did, again, I watched the G.I. Joe cartoons. Uh, I, I, I like the G.I. Joe cartoons. And then in the summer of 86, I believe it was, I went back east with my grandparents. And my cousin Kyle back there, he had a couple of G.I. Joe comics. He had a bunch of the figures. So, you know, back there, I'd hang out with him for a while. We'd play with him. It was fun. So I got back, and I started buying the G.I. Joe toys. So I was getting the toys. I'd watch the cartoons. And then around January, February of 1987, I was with my mother in uh, Fresno, California, and we were eating at our little restaurants. I get done eating early than everyone else, so I went next door to, I think it was a Thrifty's, like right attached to the little diner. So we're at the next door to look, and as I'm looking around, I look at the comic book section, and on the stand I see G.I. Joe, A Real American Hero, issue number 58. The title was Desperate Moves, written by Larry Hama, penciled by Todd, Todd Willingham, and the cover had uh, a picture of somebody in a bed, some brown-haired person with an eye patch, a ma an oxygen max on, and in front of him stands uh, some guy in a battle armor with the Cobra insignia on his on the forehead. Uh, I don't know. I kind of like the act the the battle armor figure there, but he's got his arm raised like you know I'm here, and it says Cobra Commander Reborn. Again, having bought the toys, having enjoyed the cartoons, Cobra Commander Reborn? What the heck? Huh. So I didn't know who the, the person in the back of the, in that bed was. Was it Cobra Commander and this, he's now he's been reborn in this battle armor or what? I was enthralled by it. So I picked it up. I'm not going to spoil anything about that issue right now, but I read it and I loved it. Also around this time, I forget if it was right before or right after, Kmart uh, used to have bags of comics, they'd bag of like three or four comics in a bag and sell them for a cheap price. Well, in that bag I was able to pick up issue 51, 53, and 55. Uh, 51 had a picture of the Dreadnoughts on the Thunder Machine, 53 had a uh, close-up of Snake Eyes with his gun, and 55 was the one that really caught my interest when wanted me to buy that package. It, the cover said Unmaskings, and it showed Cobra Commander, Destro, and Snake Eyes pulling their masks off. I, I saw that, and I'm like, wow! So, you know, I definitely had to buy that one also. Uh, those are my first G.I. Joe comics. I read them. I thoroughly enjoyed them. Uh, they, they were great. So, I ended up going finding a comic shop in Merced, California. I forget which the first one. I think it was Cop Comics in Merced. Actually, it may have been Bobby's Comics at the time still. And I started finding these back issues. Also went to uh, Lonnie's Comics, Emerset, a couple places in Fresno. And I started buying back issues of G.I. Joe. Well, shortly thereafter, I also, as I watched the G.I. Joe cartoon, I'd also watched the Transformers cartoon. Well, I, I believe it was on the newsstand, I saw a comic... Again, this was around March or so, because that's when it was released, March of 1987. There was a comic called Transformers Headmasters. And that was where we introduced the new type of Transformers, where the heads would come off and they become robots themselves. So I picked up that Fortune miniseries. 
And when that series ended, it led into the regular Transformers book, so I had to start picking up that book. So again, as I'm going to the comic shop looking for back issues of G.I. Joe, I'm also looking for back issues of Transformers. Uh, one thing led to another. I started picking up Spider-Man. I started picking up Batman. I started picking up Detective Comics. I started picking up this one and this one. And, this. and pretty soon, I, I was enthralled, and I'm the comic geek I am today. And that all started from G.I. Joe number 58, I would have to say. Because if I hadn't bought that one, it may have not led me into buying all these other comics and becoming the giant comic geek I am today. So, so I found it only fitting that I do a podcast on G.I. Joe. I had found a G.I. Joe podcast and started listening to it here not too long ago. It started a couple years back. I found it. I caught all the back episodes of it and listened to them. It was a pretty good show covering the G.I. Joe comics and they talked about the toys because they're big toy fans. But then I noticed that, you know, they're, they were doing like, they were doing on a regular basis and they started doing like one or two a month, or one or two a month, a couple of times a year. And then they had one a year and then they haven't done anything for the last couple of years. So I decided at this point, you know what? G.I. Joe needs a podcast. G.I. Joe demands a podcast. This is the G.I. Joe, a real American hero podcast. Hope you guys enjoyed it. So stay tuned, watch for further appearances of G.I. Joe, A Real American Podcast, and uh, what do you guys think? Would you like to hear more about G.I. Joe? Would you like to hear the monthly adventures of G.I. Joe, A Real American Hero, the comic book series, told by me, Brother Head? Uh, let me know. You can send me an email at G.I. Joe, G-I-J-O-E, no periods, at headspeaks.com. Again, that's G.I. Joe at headspeaks.com. Uh, let me know what you guys think. Do you want to hear more about the uh, G.I. Joe comic book series? Uh, feel free to send me an email. Give me your thoughts. Let me know what you liked about this episode, what you didn't like. Uh, keep in mind, further episodes would be about the G.I. Joe comic book series. I may eventually, here and there, review the movie, maybe review a couple episodes here and there of the TV show. But my main focus would be reviewing the G.I. Joe, a real American hero comic book series published by Marvel and now being published by IDW. Uh, let me know what you think. Uh, until then, and remember, knowing is half the battle. G.I. Joe, a real American headcast, is available monthly on iTunes, Stitcher, and at headspeaks.com. All characters and stories are owned and trademarked by either Hasbro, Marvel Comics, IDW Comics, or their respective owners. I claim no ownership of anything other than my own opinion. All audio and images are used for entertainment purposes and is believed to fall under the Fair Use Act. I make no money from this headcast. For more of the monthly G.I. Joe, check out the IDW series at your local comic book shop. For more of the stories I'm currently covering, check out your local comic book shop for the comics and the trade paperbacks. Also, check out my other headcasts, Headspeaks, and Task Force X. Let me know what you think. Send me an email letting me know your thoughts. You can also send an MP3 file, which I will play on the air. And just remember, Yo Joe! Well, there you have it, the premiere episode of G.I. Joe, a real American headcast. Uh, Do you guys enjoy it? Let me know what you think. Send me an email. Uh, anyways... That's it for Geeking with Head today. Uh, now let's go ahead and move on to our next segment. But before we do that, we got to do this.
After these messages, we'll be right back. Yeah. Hi, I'm Gene Hendricks. You may remember me from such shows as The Hammer Podcasts and The Quantum Cast. I'd like to tell you about some special shows that I'm doing with some of your favorite podcasters. These shows are all about the live-action versions of comic book characters, and I'm calling them... Legends of the Superheroes! In each episode, we'll be looking at a different TV show or movie featuring characters like... Wonder Woman! Dr. David Banner. And let's not forget about the non-superheroes, such as... Swamp Thing! Captain William Buck Rogers. And many more. Look for the Legends of the Superheroes specials under the Hammer Podcasts at twotruefreaks.com. I got a bad feeling about this. You'd be feeling a lot better, Han, if you were listening to Dead Boffin Spies, a Star Wars podcast hosted by me, Ryan Daly. That doesn't sound too hard. It's not hard. You just check out Dead Boffin Spies on iTunes, Facebook, or the blog page, deadboffinspies.blogspot.com. Don't be too proud of this technological terror you've constructed. Well, I, I don't know if terror is an appropriate description. It's a podcast that combines everything you love about me talking and some of what you love about Star Wars. I want to learn the ways of the Force and become a Jedi like my father. Fine, whatever. Do that after you listen to Dead Boffin Spies. Yoda, you seek Yoda! No, you seek Dead Boffin Spies, a Star Wars podcast. Check it out. It beats kissing a Wookiee, I would think. <laughs> in the sky I can go twice as high Take a look It's in a book A reading rainbow Who can read on the run and have lots of fun? Who can do a handstand and read everything on the newsstand? Who can run forward and back and read everything in the stack? Comes Head and Head's Bookshelf. On today's episode, I'm going to talk a little bit about a Star Wars book, part of the Legacy of the Force line called Betrayal. It's the first book in the Legacy of the Force. Uh, it takes place approximately 35 years after Episode 6, Return of the Jedi. And I'm not going to probably do a full review, just give my thoughts on it re- real quick. Um. I'll give you the plot on it. It's uh, 36 years after the fall of the Galactic Empire. Uh, the novel begins with Luke Skywalker sensing the dark presence of a mysterious enemy. Uh, by the way, this uh, plot I'm reading to you is from uh, the Wikipedia on betrayal. Uh, Jason Solo and Ben Skywalker are sent on a mission to disable the planet of Corella's new independent weapons on Adumar. After they are discovered, they fight their way out of the facility and report to the Galactic Alliance of their discoveries. Han and Leia Solo host a dinner with the Skywalkers as guests at Lux Station, where the failed peace meeting between the GA, which is Galactic Alliance, 
in Corellia took place. As this happens, a mysterious tassel is discovered, which Jason looks to investigate with Ben on the information planet of Lord. Jason and Ben meet up with a Jedi Knight, Nelani Din, and they seek to find the meaning embedded in the tassel. As they do this, they encounter crimes where mentally unstable individuals are motivated, motivated by their obsessions of Jedi. The crimes all trace back to a woman named Brisha Sho. When arrested and questioned, Brisha demands to speak of the Jedi, to which they quickly acquiesce. Jason asks what she knows about the crimes on Lord and realizes that she's force sensitive. Brisha invites Jason, Ben, and Nalina. 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 How do you pronounce it? Darn alien names. Uh, to her home on an asteroid near Bimel. They agree, so they set course for this asteroid. When they arrive, Brisha informs them that she suspects there is a Sith Lord in the caves beneath the asteroid, and that she needs to go. She needs the Jedi to get rid of him. They agree, and they follow Brisha down into the bowels of the asteroid. While they're in the cart that's taken them down to the caverns, Ben and Nali are both yanked out of the travel cart by Brisha through the Force. When Jason demands why she did it, she informs him that they would have died fighting the Sith Lord. While Jason is still suspicious of her motives, he goes along with her down to the caves. When Jason and Brisha are separated, he comes face to face with a dark side version of his uncle Luke Skywalker, and Ben fights a dark side version of his mother, Mary Jade Skywalker. On Coruscant, Luke and Mary are likewise fighting dark side versions of their nephew and son, respectively. At the end of each fight, they feel uneasy of their battles, except Ben, who is knocked unconscious. Jason and Brisha reunite, with Brisha saying that she was the one who conjured the dark versions of one of them of each of them, as a test for Jason. Brisha then leads Jason to a very colorful house in a large cave, and tells Jason that it was the home to the Sith Lord, Darth Vitigvas. Brisha also reveals that her true name is Shra Bree, a.k.a. Lumeria, an enemy of Luke Skywalker. She then goes on to explain that Jason has never heard of Vitigvas, because he never tried to conquer the galaxy, or tried to eradicate the Jedi Order. She tells him that Vedicus believes in peace and learning, and that Jason's perceptions of the Sith has been clouded by the Empire's reign of terror, and the Jedi's philosophical and subjective stance against them. By them, Nalina has also arrived at Vedicus's mansion and tries to arrest Lumia. She refuses, and she and Nalina do battle. Nalina with her lightsaber, and Lumia with her whip. Light whip. <clears throat> All the while, Lumia tries to convince Jason that the true Sith way is one of love, peace, and understanding. Okay, not love, just peace and understanding. And that he is destined to become the next Sith Lord, just as Verigi, who was an alien bird creature from the, uh, she was in the, uh, Kong, whatever, the, uh, the last new Jedi Order big series of books. Anyways, as Verigi taught him, Lumiye and Nelina battle ends, and Jason, stunned by this revelation, peer into the future and realizes that if he doesn't kill Nalina, each future ends with Luke dying by Jason's hand. Devastated, Jason takes off after Nalina, and she realizes his intent and stabs her through his through the chest with his lightsaber in the midst of combat. When he returns to Lumia, Jason wipes Ben's solid memories of the experience in the home, and then tells her that he will accept her Sith teachings in order to save the galaxy from spelling out of control from the upcoming war between the Galactic Alliance and Corellia. 
The novel ends on Coruscant, where, as Luke senses the presence of the dark man he senses at the beginning of the novel is real now, Mara informs Luke that Jason and Ben are returning home. To be continued. Dun dun dun. Overall, I enjoyed this book. I enjoy most of the uh, Star Wars books. There's a few here and there that's not quite so great. But overall, I like this one. Um, again, I've heard previously, I've even spoiled that Jason goes to the dark side. Um, spoilers, in case you haven't heard that yet. But since this line of books is no longer in continuity, to heck with it. Hope you've heard. Anyways, I, I've heard, it may, it may have been rumors, I wasn't, I hadn't actually read the stories, but I'd heard that from somewhere that Jason goes to the dark side and other things happen. So when the story talk starts off and Luke's having these dreams of this mysterious stranger that could be something the Sith or the dark side, I, I kind of suspected that he was dreaming of Jason. Um, again, I don't know if it was just that well, if that was that much stated out, you know, if it was that intended to be, you know, so noticeable, or if it's just because I knew ahead of time going into this that Jason was going to become on the dark side, and so I, that's why I just assumed it was him. But other than that, I say I'm enjoying the book, or I enjoyed the book. I finished reading the first one. I'm on the second one right now. I thought it was a really good book. It was written by, sorry about that, uh, written by Aaron Alston, a cover artist by Jason Felix. It was published May the 30th of 2006. Uh, the next book in the series was Bloodlines, which I'm reading right now. Uh, but Betrayal, I think it's a really good book. I definitely recommend it. Out of the Star Wars books, uh, I would give it a B plus, a solid B plus. I definitely recommend it. Uh, check it out. I uh, hope you enjoy it. Anyways, uh, that's it for What's on Head's Bookshelf today. On the mark, get set. We're riding on the internet. The internet is really, really great. For porn. I got a fast connection so I don't have to wait. For porn. What? There's always some new site. For porn. I browse all day and night. For porn. It's like I'm surfing at the speed of light. For porn. <laughs> Internet porn, Roman orgy scenes. Internet porn, dominatrix queens. Internet porn, girl on girl on girl on girl on girl on guy on sheep. You're going surfing on the internet. Where is head going? On today's Where's Head Going, we're going to talk about the website, firestormfan.com. I've talked about the site before. I've mentioned it before. It's ran by an online buddy of mine. Uh, we haven't met face-to-face, -face, but we have talked on Skype uh, here recently. Uh, stay tuned to Task Force X for more on that. Uh, but anyways, it's ran by the irredeemable Shag. Uh, Shag is a bigger Firestorm fan than I am. How big? Well, he's got a blog. He's got a podcast. Uh, he's a pretty damn big fan of Firestorm. So again, if you like good comics, if you like Firestorm, even if you don't like Firestorm, check out firestormfan.com. That's F-I... Try that again. F-I-R-E-S-T-O-R-M-F-A-N.com. He's got all the news on Firestorm. He's got all the news on their Fire and Water podcast and the various Who's Who's podcast. 
Uh, he's got links to different websites. He's got a breakdown of Firestorm comics. He's got a breakdown of the different incarnations of Firestorm. Currently, he's got a list of 10 different Firestorms listed there. Uh, just looking through them, pretty much agree with, uh, of course. So, yeah, check it out. He's got a reference sites for Firestorm, a list of Firestorm's writers and artists on the web, uh, an artist, other superhero sites, other worthwhile sites, and so forth and so on, and blah, blah, blah. Uh, definitely recommend checking out firestormfan.com. It's a great website about a great superhero. Uh, check them out and tell them Brother Head sent you. Mail time. Mail time. Here's the mail, it never fails. It makes me want to wag my tail. When it comes, I want to wail. You've got mail. So I still haven't gotten any email from anybody. I guess you guys don't like me. If I had feelings, I'd cry. Uh, so what I'm going to do, <clears throat> hope you don't mind, Romero, is uh, Romero sent me a Facebook message. I'm going to go ahead and read off. Uh, close enough for email to me. Uh, this is in regards to the uh, last episode, I believe it was, of Head Speaks. Uh, so he starts off, oh, and I love the Killing Avenger headcast. It's everything I want in a headcast because I've just watched the new Avengers and I've also read The Killing Joke. And like I said before, those are two things that I like chatting about, chatting with you about. Movies I've watched and comics that I've read and your opinion on both along with recommendations. Which reminds me, dude, did you have to clean up any wet spots after gushing so hard after The Killing Joke art? I'm just joshing, but to be honest, I've never heard anyone say fucking with so much passion. Oh. And that Firestorm podcast was dope, too. I'm going to try and find some copies online soon. I'm all caught up with Flash now, and dude, that rings, that ring that Wells had on the show, I gushed. And as I told him on my message, yes, usually after reading The Killing Joke, I have to clean up myself, after myself. As you can tell from that last episode, when I talked about The Killing Joke, I loved the artwork in it. I loved the writing. It was a great book. So, yes, I kind of orgasmed. Thanks for messaging me, Romero. Uh, and I would like for anyone else out there that's listening to go ahead and, and send me an email or a blog post or something. Let me know what you guys think. Anything you guys think I can do to improve this show, anything you're enjoying on it, things you don't want me to change, uh, let me know. Again, as usual, you can reach me at head at headspeaks.com. You can also, uh, if you want to send me an email with a uh, mp3 of your comments and concerns or what have you you can send that to me at head at headspeaks.com and I'll play that on the air uh, check me out on the web as usual and uh, hope you guys enjoyed this uh, I was quite double sized it was a little longer than it has been but uh, let me know what you guys think what a blast kid we shall have good fun while it lasted hung out with friends and hit the skin next week we're gonna do it again Thank you for listening to another great episode of Head Speaks. Be sure to look for me on the web. I can be found rambling on my Task Force X headcast, where I cover all the appearances of the Ostringer Suicide Squad and Kupperberg's Checkmate comic books from the late 80s, early 90s. Both Head Speaks and Task Force X can be found on iTunes and over there on Stitcher Radio. My home on the Intertubes is my official website, HeadSpeaks.com H-E-A-D-S-P-E-A-K-S 
www.thehatchet.com. Links to my blog, which contain follow-up information to this and every headcast, can be found there. I'm also over on Facebook at Head Speaks, uh, the community, not the page. That's somebody else. On Google+, look for Head Speaks. Please feel free to email me your bitches, moans, and gripes to headspeaks at headspeaks.com. Also, feel free to email any compliments you have also. And if you want to be heard on Head Speaks, you can go ahead and record a message, and you can send it to me at head at headspeaks.com, and I'll play it on the air. Be sure to join us here next time for another fun-filled headcast from your friendly neighborhood brotherhead. And hey, be sure to tell a friend. Until next time, I'll see you in the funny pages. Also, be sure to check out my other podcast, Task Force X. Uh, this month, I'm going to be reviewing the Convergence Suicide Squad number two, the second part of the Convergence Suicide Squad, yeah, of course. And then next month, July, join me over at Task Force X for that one-year anniversary episode, episode 12 of Task Force X, where I have a Spexter special guest star talking about extra special issues with uh, the Suicide Squad in them. Okay? Okay. And the end song for this episode is going to be called 1985. It's from Bowling for Soup. The title of the album, or the album is uh, Hangover You Don't Deserve. Uh, the reason I'm going to play this one is because, well, I'm a big fan of the 80s. I'm stuck on the 80s, so check it out. Hope you guys enjoy it. Thanks. Uh, so stay tuned for the credits, and after the credits, listen to 1985 from Bowling with Soup. Bowling for Soup, sorry. Bye, guys. What a blast, kid. We shall have good fun while it lasted. Hung out with friends and hit the skin. Next week, we're going to do it again. Thank you for listening to another great episode of Head Speaks. Be sure to look for me on the web. I can be found rambling on my Task Force X headcast, where I cover all the appearances of the Ostringer Suicide Squad and Kupperberg's Checkmate comic books from the late 80s, early 90s. Both Headspeaks and Task Force X can be found on iTunes and over there on Stitcher Radio. My home on the Intertubes is my official website, headspeaks.com. H-E-A-D-S-P-E-A-K-S dot C-O-M. Links to my blog, which contain follow-up information to this and every headcast, can be found there. I'm also over on Facebook at Head Speaks, uh, the community, not the page. That's somebody else. On Google+, look for Head Speaks. Please feel free to email me your bitches, moans, and gripes to headspeaks at headspeaks.com. Also, feel free to email any compliments you have also. And if you want to be heard on Head Speaks, you can go ahead and record a message, and you can send it to me at head at headspeaks.com, and I'll play it on the air. Be sure to join us here next time for another fun-filled headcast from your friendly neighborhood brotherhead. And hey, be sure to tell a friend. Until next time, I'll see you in the funny pages. Debbie just hit the wall She never had it all
with one man What happened to her plan? She was gonna be an actress She was gonna be a star She was gonna shake her ass On the hood of White Snake's car Her yellow SUV Is now the enemy Looks at her average life And nothing